bandwidth for changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. I'm Kent C. Dodds, and you're listening to The Changelog. This is The Change Log, and I'm your host, Adam Stachowiak. This is episode 246, and today on the show, we're talking to Kent C. Dodds, talking about guiding and supporting first-time contributors to open source. We talked about the many ways to be first-timer friendly, how to contribute to open source, the burden and balance of a maintainer, and a few of the projects Kent maintains, including his latest project at PayPal called Glamorous. We have three sponsors for today's show, Sentry, TopTal, and GoCD. First sponsor of the show today is our friends at Sentry, helping you to find and fix your errors in your applications. You can start tracking your errors today totally free. They support React, Angular, Ember, Vue, Backbone, and Node frameworks like Express and Koa. You can view actual code and stack traces, including support for source maps. See the errors URL, parameters, and session information, and even prompt your users for feedback when you have front-end errors. Head to changelaw.com slash sentry, start tracking your errors today for free, no credit card required. Get off the ground with their free plan, and when you're ready to expand your usage, simply pay as you go. Once again, changelaw.com slash sentry, and now onto the show. we're back we got can't see dodge joining us jared now we've been trying to line this show up for a month-ish something like that we had to move it one time but we've got him here yep I'm, I'm excited are you excited absolutely uh and excited because this show was put together with help from our friend Dwayne o'brien Dwayne, shout out thank you so much yes, for Dwayne. introducing us to kent yes and uh kent welcome to the show thank you i'm happy to be here and so we've got this uh, this passion and love for open source, right? And open source needs, uh, you know, more community, more contributors. And I, I think the way now I went back and looked and, and the, the medium post that seems to be most famous for you was actually penned back in 2015, which I didn't realize, Jared. Like, I think we linked this up and changed a weekly recently. And I think I never even paid attention to the to the date stamp. Like, I, I thought this was a newish movement for Kent, but it, he's been doing this for a while. Yeah, it's timeless. A couple, <laughs> a couple of years, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I, I haven't actually done it a whole lot recently, but um, I'm like, I still get people um, messaging me and tweeting me about it, um, saying that they've started doing it. And I'll, I'll like follow the uh, first timers only uh, tag on on GitHub and people are still doing it. And so that's really cool to me that it's inspired people to uh, make their projects more first-timer friendly. First-timer is, is sort of a loaded thing, too, because you're like, well, who is that really? Are they new to software development? Are they new to open source? And in a lot of cases, it's probably people who are just simply new to open source. Like, you totally. wouldn't assume that they're so new to everything that you got to spell out everything for them. It's, it's more like, how do you open the door to say you're invited to be a part of this? You know, the, it's on GitHub or it's on source forge back in the day whatever it might have been but you know this invitation basically to say here's easy ways to step into this project or this community and move this initiative along yeah absolutely and that's why like if anybody hasn't read the first timers only blog post you just 
search first timers only. This will probably give you a little bit of good context, but um, basically the idea is like let's let's just you know contributing to any project is it can be hard enough. Like whether you're really experienced or not, um, there's like nuances in in contributing to projects, and so let's put away those nuances a little bit and make contributing. Um, as simple as possible, because like the hard part about getting into open source isn't necessarily the like the actual code that you'll contribute, but it's figuring out how to uh, work with GitHub or whatever, wherever your project is hosted. But most of the time it's GitHub. Like what is a pull request and how do you fork and what even is a fork um, and how do you and especially like if you're if you're new, like how do you use Git so that you can interact with that uh, with your fork and that kind of thing. And so like just making it as as simple as possible to contribute so that people can learn about the contributing portion. And then once they figure out that contributing portion, then they can start um, utilizing the skills that they already have uh, to contribute in other ways. So, Ken, I'm curious why this is something that's so exciting or you know something that you're you're passionate about. I guess we got so excited having you on. We didn't even really give you too much of an intro, um, but you're a software engineer at PayPal. You've done a lot of front-end stuff. You may know Ken's work from front-end masters or perhaps a, as a teacher on Egghead. So you publish a lot, prolific on Twitter, uh, specifically in the front-end and JavaScript space. Did you have yourself a difficult time coming into open source? And so you're trying to help others get over that that bump or where's your motivation coming from? No, that, I'm glad that you asked. Like I so first off, I'm as privileged as all get out. I'm like straight white um, American. Like I, I've had computers since I was really little. And, and so um, like I, I just feel compelled to help other people who may not be as privileged as I have been. Um, and so that like that's one of the major motivating factors for me is just uh, making this kind of thing accessible to people because it's been so helpful for me. So like my my first foray into open source uh, i don't i don't even know when i learned what open source was but i remember i was working on this java project and i i uh, developed like this utilities library that was just useful in my my projects and i've like since learned that all of those utilities were available in other libraries and stuff but i just decided hey i'll just put this up on this weird github thing that i heard about um, and, uh, and that was like, I, I think it's called my Java helpers or something like that. I'm pretty sure it's still on my GitHub. Um, but that was like my first, you know, something is on open source. And so like for me, I actually started publishing open source, um, stuff before I started contributing to other people's stuff. Um, and it was never like, an, like people will often say that it's kind of scary for them to put their code out there. Um, maybe I'm like a big ham or something and I don't, I don't mind pushing my stuff out. I don't care. Like I, I'm pretty sure that it, if it's bad, that like, it doesn't make a difference to me. I don't, I don't care if it's bad. Um, and, and people will tell me it's bad and I can maybe fix it or I can just not worry about it. Um, but yeah, like, so I, I made a couple of libraries and then I, I fixed a typo in some Java doc. Um, and that was my first pull request. Um, and, and then the rest is history just started contributing more and more. Um, I think once you learn the, the process of contributing, then like it, it just comes back down to your skills as a developer. Yeah. I'm trying to just think back at, at my own experience, especially around contributing on GitHub where things got a lot easier. In fact, I used open source for many years and I even considered, I remember I made a patch to a C library at one point, which was, I was proud of because. C for me is, is a difficult thing, memory management and all that. I've never been that good at it. And I made an improvement 
to a thing. I can't remember what the thing was anymore, but I had no idea how to, this was pre GitHub at the time. So there really wasn't a good, I mean, we talk about the first time experience and onboarding or ramping up. I don't know. There's lots of terms for this, but like getting people involved with open source is still hard, but the pre GitHub era, it was like way hard. It was so, it was so opaque. Like I didn't even know you could do like, it's basically like, you know, generate a patch with subversion and then mm -hmm. email it to somebody that, you know, might be a project maintainer, like whose name is on the SourceForge page or something. So it was so opaque mm -hmm. back then that I kind of grew up in open source alongside GitHub as they added features. So like the pull request mm -hmm. was a new feature that came out. And so I didn't really have to learn it because I was like, oh, they announced it. And then I checked it out. And I, I point being is since I've been along for the ride of GitHub itself, I don't often look at it with the fresh eyes. Because mm -hmm. um, to me, it's so much easier now than it used to be. But the fact of the matter is, is it's still really hard. There's still a lot of things to, to get over to get that first contribution going. You also have a lot more things changing nowadays, too. Like, you've got uh, the the most recent prior president of the United States advocating for people to learn code, like normal people. When I say that, I mean people who've never thought about touching a computer or their only computer has ever been on an iPhone or something like that. You know, they're, they now have, like, this invitation to say, well, you can actually learn to code, and there's a new way you can do life you know as an engineer or even just someone who is a drive-by contri contributor like you've got these people who are now being invited into this unique fold now and they're like what is even source not even let alone open source or whatever they're just mm -hmm. like how can i how do i jump on this train right absolutely well there's so much opportunity in our industry and there's so many people that need access to those opportunities um you know, around making a good living. And I mean, not just the, the, the salaries that we can demand because we're, because of the situation that we're in, um, in our industry, but also just the freedom of life, you know, the, 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 the you can work from anywhere. It's just a great and enjoyable thing, right. As a career. And so we have people motivated, you have opportunity, and then you have this movement around open source as a resume or like this, you have certain companies, you know, demanding that you have a GitHub profile, which is, attractive for them to hire you Kent, curious what your thoughts are on that whole uh hmm. thing of like github as resume or open source as resume yeah i'm glad that you asked github as a resume is interesting uh the the real problem um that i have with like people saying you must have um an active github for us to even like interview you is mm -hmm. that like it's inherently privileged. Um, there are some yes. people who go to work and they work on their closed source stuff and then they get home and they have to take care of their, you know, suffering uh, spouse or, you know, their, their seven kids or whatever it is. Um, and they, they are like totally dead by the, the end of the day. There's no way they could contribute to open source. Um, and then there's like also people who love coding and they're really super good at it. Um, but they, they're not really interested in doing it 24 seven. And so, like it's um, like I, I would um, look at somebody's GitHub to see if they have anything and, and peruse the issues that they've been commenting on. Like, is this person cordial? Um, is this the kind of person that I want um, in on my team? But if they don't have anything there, like they still have the like the stock um, um, avatar or whatever, um, I'm not going to count that against them. I'll, I'll just assume that they have been unable to contribute, um, or maybe that's just not their thing. Um, and like, it does say something, uh, when somebody like is really into open source and, and, um, 
like it, I guess it can say that they don't know how to balance their life. Um, but right. like, it's really hard to read that from a GitHub profile. So, um, yeah, like it, it's just kind of a fuzzy area. So I would definitely never say you must have an active GitHub profile to uh, be of any interest to me because it's just way too overloaded with privilege. That's like saying you gotta be, you know, you gotta live in a certain city of a certain state. It's no different. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of silly because you're limiting, you know, your potential. Like there could be great software engineers that you mentioned out out there that just, they, they do the balance. They they work eight, they play eight, they sleep eight and they don't have time for open source or they just never made time yet. So they haven't played that role. And but they're yet they're great, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a there's a plenty of people who are mechanics, and they're great mechanics, and that that's their job. And they go home from being a mechanic, and they don't want to work on machines anymore. <laughs> that's right. right? Yeah. Until tomorrow, right? And then tomorrow mm-hmm. they're going to go back to being a great mechanic tomorrow. And if you just completely said, I don't hire any mechanics who aren't also hobbyists, mm-hmm. or pat so passionate that they it consumes them twenty four seven. You're cutting yourself out from, for, I agree with you, Ken, it's a completely privileged uh, thing because some people, maybe they do want to be a mechanic as a hobby, but like you said, they just can't from, because of life circumstances. But you eliminate a huge swath of your, your, of your talent pool by saying, well, you also have to be a, a hobbyist. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. And there have been times in, like, in my contributor graph, I, I have a pretty, um, a pretty heavy contributor graph, but like there have been times that I've taken a couple of breaks for like a month or so. Um, because I just like, you need a break every now and then there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and so like, and especially if you were to say, I will only hire people with active GitHub profiles, like you're, you're going to wind up with a situation where people get burned out on stuff and it's just, it's not really a great situation to be in. Um, also like a, a real challenge that I have, um, so like occasionally and, and I've seen is that people will get so excited and into open source that they neglect their work duties. Um, and huh. so like, even if you have, if you say, okay, I only want active GitHub contributors, what are they actually going to be contributing to when they get into your company? Um, so you need to hire for much more than that. Um, so like, yeah, that's just another thing to, to think about. Yeah. There's so many factors. I mean, hiring is hard. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, it's easy to armchair uh, hire, but it's hard yeah. to actually hire. Well, uh, tell us about your yourself in terms of, uh, yeah, I don't want to get too personal, but your work-life balance. The, the, because you work for PayPal, they, uh, you you told me offline that you have open source projects with with inside PayPal that you're doing. So you have open source opportunities uh, at PayPal, but you also have your front end master's courses, you're teaching, you're doing websites like these, you're doing talks. Um, and uh, how do you hold it all together? Yeah, the, I, I actually, somebody or several people have asked me that on my AMA. Um, and so I've, I've got like a pretty detailed outline of what my, my schedule looks like. But yeah, it like, it and does you take a that? lot of time. Sorry. And you maintain it, the schedule? Because I feel like every time um, I make a I don't schedule, really it's like maintain it, but it, it's not like wish. really detailed. It's basically like this is kind of generally how it, how I make it work. Um, but uh, for like, first off, I um, like I don't really have a ton of hobbies outside of coding. Um, I, I really enjoy coding and that's just kind of what I like to do. Um, and uh, so and then my wife is super supportive. So if I'm working on a, um, an egghead course or, or a front end master's workshop and I'm like really coming down to the wire or something, 
um, she'll kind of uh, step it up and and take care of things uh, while I finish that up. Um, I, I have three kids, and so that yeah, there's a lot of effort around that. Um, mm-hmm. And so shout out to to Brooke. Um, but uh, yeah, and like I I try to wake up early every morning to get a couple hours in um, working on my uh, workshops and and those kinds of things and. And generally, like the stuff that I do for my workshops um, inevitably will lead to some open source um, tool or something like just this morning, I was working on my testing workshop for front end masters. And um, I have this tool called split guide that makes it really easy for me to have like, here's what the um, your exercises are. And here's what the final version should look like. and so it's just a tool to make developing or like creating that experience uh, really easy. And uh, there was just a small issue in, in that library. So I really quickly uh, made a patch and, and released it. Um, and I have the whole release process automated as well. So I, I can like automation actually plays a huge role in my ability to um, uh, to do as much as I do. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah. And, and um, so like my con- contributions are like more often than not incidental uh, to the work that I'm doing. So like um, there are a couple projects that I'm using at PayPal that um, like we have something that's like it's this isn't a super experience. So I'll just go and make a contribution to something or like I'll be reading the docs um, for Babel or something and like, oh, that doesn't look right. Let me fix that really quick and GitHub's editor makes it really easy. Um, and so, yeah, lots of really incidental contributions um, that are normally related to what I'm working on already. Um, and yeah, and then just like being pretty strict with my time. I don't play video games. I, um, I just do coding stuff and it's fun <laughs> to me. Um, I enjoy that. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's fine. I mean, not everybody who is a software developer has to be a gamer, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Although if you are a gamer and you're not playing Breath of the Wild, then you're missing out. <laughs> there you so go. I'll just, I'll just throw that out there because it's amazing. <laughs> you know, on the on the note of balance, though, Kent, so you, you'd mentioned, you know, your schedule and stuff like that, and the things you're involved in. And we're talking about, you know, being invitational and, you know, being polite and providing good on ramps for first time contributors and guiding them if we see that they have the default avatar and things like that. You know, the, there's a flip side to that, though, is like you've also got first time contributors in to some degree where you're a first time um you know, creator of an open source project. And in some ways you're kind of like the same thing, but at an org level and someone like you, who's done some stuff in open source and have your own projects out there, you know, there's, there's that balance as a first time contributor, but also as a maintainer and providing those ramps for people to come into play. How mm-hmm. tough is it as someone who creates open source to balance, not only the roles of being a maintainer, but also being the inviter and the, the guider that, that person who's, essentially helping attach training wheels to people to get them involved in open source. Yeah. Um, so are you, are you saying kind of the balance of like, well, if I were to just do this myself, it would take like five minutes, but if I'm going to spend time helping this person, it's going to take like two hours. Or Is that kind of what you're being the maintainer, being somebody who's, who's got to be the leader, you know, potentially even be the person who does meetups or go speak at conferences, but also be thoughtful enough to say, here's how, you can first time contribute or here's where to put code and and things like you'd mentioned in that uh, article back in 2015, how do you balance being a main chain, but also being that person too? 
Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I guess I don't really see them as separate. I, I feel like um, my goal in my open source projects is first and foremost to solve the, the pain that I'm feeling. And then uh, secondly, to um, uh, like if I can take that solution and make it generally applicable, I can save like hundreds of hours of developer time or thousands or, or tens of thousands. Um, and uh, and that's that's pretty cool. That's a really awesome feeling. Um, and so uh, if I'm going to do that, though, um, I, I have enough open, open source projects now to realize that um, I can't spread myself too thin on these or I'm I'm not going to be having any more fun. Like it's it's just not fun anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um like I, I see building a community around projects as an essential part of maintaining projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like the only way to do that um, effectively is to have a, a good code of conduct that's enforced. Uh, I've luckily never actually had to enforce my code of conduct, but I have one and it's very clear that there is one. Um, I have really good contributing guidelines. Um, sometimes I'll even have a video that demonstrates how the code is set up. Often my uh, projects are are fairly small, um, and so they they should be pretty straightforward. Um, but I also like I do a lot of things to uh, to encourage people to contribute themselves. Like if somebody files an issue, um, uh, it used to be that I would be like, "Sweet, time me. I'll show you like how fast I can fix this problem." And I remember fixing like I said, "I'll have this released in five minutes," and it was nine minutes, and they were like, "Oh my gosh, that's amazing!" And I used to feel <laughs> so cool about that. But yeah. now uh, that's just a recipe for disaster. What you want to do instead is is invite the person who filed the issue to make a pull request to do it. And more often than not, well, not, maybe not more often than not, but pretty often I'll, I'll have people say, oh, I just remembered this is open source. Yeah, I'll do that. Um, and uh, and even if it means guiding them and like it sure it takes you more time to guide somebody to figure out how to do something. Um, what you have at the end of it is another person who's familiar with the code, who's interested and invested. Um, and like there, there are a lot of things that you can do to in- increase people's investment in your open source projects. And the more invested you have other people in your project, uh, the more likely you will be able to like live your life of leisure, um, and let other people manage your project. Um, and, and the, like in, in steps in automation and that kind of thing as well, uh, which is also really, um, a, has been a really valuable thing for me. Like I have a, a generator that will automatically generate all the, uh, all the files I need for my projects that are like really common for most of my projects. And so like that automatically creates the code of conduct and creates the contributing guidelines that are like really nicely spelled out and especially helpful for beginners. Um, and like it, it um, and then I have this automated release for all of my libraries. So I can actually merge a pull request and it gets released, uh, released when I'm on my phone. Like it's, it's, that's pretty awesome. Um, and so, yeah, like being a, a good maintainer of a project, um, in my mind is not separate from being a really cordial and friendly person, um, because your effort to build a community, um, will Im- improve, um, uh, improve the maintenance of your project in the long run anyway. Yeah, we've had a, the fortunate situation with changelog.com, which uh, has been open source since, I don't know, Adam, October? October, or, yeah. Yeah, October, um, which is interesting because it's open source, but it's not like a little library or even a tool, right? It's it's our website. Mm-hmm. And so, and it's a product that has a product direction. And then, and so it's a different kind of open source project than, than many. Of course, they take many shapes and forms, but... 
um, we weren't expecting too much contribution because it's our website, right? And we know people mm. use the website. And so we thought we'd have some interest in it. It was, you know, it's written in an Elixir, which some people are interested in seeing like a, an Elixir application or a Phoenix based application in that's in production, like what it all looks like to, to glue that together. And so we open sourced mm-hmm. it mostly because first of all, we live open source and it'd be weird if our stuff wasn't yeah. open source. But, mm-hmm. um, Secondly, was more as people could, you know, look at it, uh, file issues against it as a, a headquarters, so to speak. But we weren't expecting mm-hmm. too many people actually just to contributing. <laughs> yeah, to contribute. And uh, we've been we've been happily surprised uh, by many people hopping. I think we're up to like 20 plus contributors uh, at this point, fixing bugs, adding little features, uh, really cool stuff. And so I've been trying Some to think of ways. Too. Yeah, one that was really cool. And maybe Adam, you can grab the fellow's name so he can say thank you on the air while I describe what he added. Is, yes. Um, he added kind of the, a persistent play pause button. Uh, so anywhere you are on the site, so we have a persistent player in the footer or in the bottom part, a sticky footer, where any page you're on, if you're playing an episode, it, it follows along and then continues to play. Well, he was getting annoyed that when he would go to a different page where that same episode would be in a list view or something, it wouldn't be synchronized with the player. And so he mm-hmm. had a feature where no matter where you are, it shows if it's played or paused the current episode. Stuff that we wouldn't even think of. Yeah, um, that's super. Yeah, I, and I didn't just, find that person's name. I was, I was grabbing the one for the fix for 157 and 158. I thought you were mentioning uh, Mavimo is his name. He's from Italy. Marco is his first name. Oh, yeah. Uh, an Italian last name, which I can't pronounce, but that's the one I thought you were wanting to shout out. But even the the play pause was pretty cool too because I want to shout them all out. I want to yeah. shout them all out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, we can have a shout out show one day for sure. Yeah, because well, one of my points I was trying to make is like when these people come along, like how do you show that you're that you're actually great, like, grateful besides merging it and saying thanks? And so like oh, one thing is- I thought of is well, we'll go over to we'll find their Twitter name, go over to Twitter, and we'll thank them there with links back to the pull requests and stuff, and trying to get like trying to amplify your appreciation so yeah. that it's mm-hmm. felt. And so that's one idea. Yeah, that's great. That's actually, that's a really good idea. I know the Babel folks do that as well. Um, this is something else that's really, um, I think is really good for helping build your, um, the community around your project. And, and it's something I have strong feelings about as well. So um, I actually have a couple of projects that are like a product not like a, a tool or a library or something. And um, getting contributors around those is, is really valuable. And I actually myself had a, a podcast until uh, just last year, like November, um, called JavaScript Air. And the website for that was open source as well. And um, what I did was I added a, a page, javascriptair.com slash contributors, um, where it listed all of the people who uh, made contributions um, and like their, their links nice. to their pull requests and that kind of thing. Um, and uh, that I think um, really gets people excited about contributing, and then and then you tweet out like this person is a new contributor to the site, and they're it's, it's really exciting. And um, for open source projects, like often, um, especially for small projects, you won't have a, a website; it'll just be like your README. And so um, actually, it was the the first time I I did something like this was was um, a project that actually was a website. It's called Repeat to Do just this little app that I built for my wife. Um, but, uh, I, when people like just random people started contributing things, um, and I wanted to express my gratitude. And so I had a little table in the readme that listed who the contributor was, what their like gave their avatar and, and what their contribution was. 
um, as a way to like, and, and this wasn't free, like this took some time, but it was a way to say like, Hey, I really do appreciate the contribution that you gave. Um, and here's some evidence of that. And everybody in the world can see like that you, you con uh, contributed to this project and I'm really grateful for that. Um, and I found that as I, um, have been doing that, I actually made a specification for that. It's called all contributors. And as I've been doing this on all of my projects, people are so much more excited about contributing to the project. They're so much more invested in the project uh, because they can see their name and their face on like in a prominent yeah. place on that project. Um, and that's that's an exciting thing to me. And, and it's not hidden behind the like contributors on GitHub, um, right. but it's somewhere prominent where people can see that. Um, and so like they'll, they'll contribute more when they see that uh, their contributions are appreciated like that. Yeah. Absolutely. That's awesome. I think, in fact, I'm, I'm over here, Adam, getting convicted that we're not doing more yeah. for our contributors. We to, always can, you know, we could never do enough possibly, right. you know, absolutely. And I think, uh, what, what you're kind of getting at is not, is, is the recognition, but you're also creating a sense of community around it. Um, where it's not like one person and, and these drive-bys happen to, you know, help out, but it's still about Kent, right? It's, it's sharing the love and creating community around it. Let's, I want to continue this conversation. We're going to hit our first break. You specifically, you have this all contributors repo. I think there's more to be said about this and you have a lot of insights, Kent. So let's pause here and we'll come back with more about how to recognize and attract uh, contributors. We'll be right back. If you're looking for trusted freelance talent, ready to join your team right now. I mean, like within the week, call upon my friends at TopTal, T-O-P-T-A-L.com. And as a listener of the show, you might actually be one of those developers or designers looking for awesome freelance, independent contractor type opportunities where you can still be a remote worker. You can still have the freedom you have right now, which means you can travel anywhere, you can be anywhere and do what you do. That's also an opportunity. We love TopTal. They've been supporting this show for a very long time. They're really good friends of ours. If you want a personal introduction, I'd be glad to give that to you. Email me, adam at changelaw.com. Otherwise, head to toptal.com. That's T-O-P-T-A-L.com to learn more. Tell them Adam from Changelog sent you. And now back to the show. All right. We are back with Ken C. Dodds talking about all things open source, especially around community, contributions, first timers, these kinds of things. And by the way, in the break, we found the fellow's name who contributed that very cool feature, Christian Franco. Yes. So shout out to Christian. Thank you so much uh, for hopping on. And I love and, the way he did it too. He opened the issue and he kind of, he, he was like, he was sharing his idea, you know, and he, you know, he wasn't just right. like saying, here's the pull request. Here's the, he's like, this is the idea I had took, you know, took about roughly this amount of time. And, you know, do you think this is a good idea? And, and I like, I kind of like that approach too, because it gives us a chance to sort of product develop together rather than saying, you know, just send a PR, which is sort of like you hear that often. And it sort of, sort of sounds condescending away like, oh, you got that idea. Great. Send a PR, do the work, you know, just send right. a PR. Yeah. Well, you know, it sounds sort of nasty even sometimes. Yeah, it totally does. Uh, like, so especially for people who aren't like, or who are just getting started, especially for something like your, your project where like lots of people um, could be just getting into software development that maybe they've never done open source before, but they're trying to learn about it. Um, and so like hearing uh, just open a PR um, can be really kind of scary to people yeah. um, because like, I don't even know what a PR is. What, what, the, <laughs> what the heck is, is that? PR? Like, what is this? Um, and so I actually have a, a website called makeupullrequest.com. 
and it um, directs people to a free course that I have on Egghead about how to make a pull request. So like mm-hmm. instead of you can feel free to make a PR, you'd say feel free to make a pull request.com and then they can go learn about what that is. And if they already know what a pull that request is, so is cool. it's fine. They just keep moving on. But um, yeah, like it's just so much more friendly when when you give people a resource and it's not that hard to do, um, especially like with GitHub, like the saved replies thing and whatnot. Um, right. So, yeah, totally. Um, let's let's give people the resources and enable them to uh, to solve their own problems. I think that's really important. So let me ask you this. Then. This is maybe slightly off topic to some degree. You know, we asked you before what's your motivation behind this. And then here's this free course. It's 38 minutes long, but it probably took two weeks. I don't know, maybe a week. I have no idea how long, but whatever it is, it's, it's enough time where you've got your day job, you've got your family. You know, how do, how do you benefit from the time you invest in this and what makes you do it? Oh, that's, that's a good question. Um, so yeah, it definitely took more than two weeks. Uh, these, these courses take quite a while. Um, but so one of the really free. awesome... So it's yeah, not like it's free. It's not like, well, hey, can't we'll pay a royalty for this free course? I, I don't know what your actually that, is. That but. is what it is. Okay. Um, so <laughs> okay, guessed it really. Egghead, I have to give such a shout out to Egghead IO because they have like half of their stuff, maybe more of half of their stuff is totally free, and they still pay royalties uh, for that free stuff. They they see especially like the open source stuff. They see it as like a public service um, that, that they're paying for, for everybody. And so like, yeah, that's like super, super awesome. And like, I've, I gotta be honest, like I've got a bunch of courses on Egghead and, and my, um, like how to contribute to open source, um, is not like the, my top ranking course or anything like that. Um, but, uh, like just the fact that Egghead is willing to make that absolutely free is just super cool of them. Um, I have like the flip side course as well, how to, uh, write an open source, uh, project. Um, I don't really talk about maintaining or anything, but like the tooling around things and, and stuff like that. Um, and that's totally free as well. And so like props to Egghead for being so awesome and hosting this and, and, uh, funding my time, uh, so that I can, uh, devote some time to, to making these really great resources. That's, uh, I, I didn't expect that answer. Uh, but that's, that is, that's cool. I like that. that. Very cool. Definitely a shout out to Egghead on that. Mm. let's come back to back to the balance piece back to well not so much back, back to balance but back to creating community back to um your all contributors uh idea and giving that back to the those who who get involved we talked about creating community and i feel like that's something we've you know we've done for a while Jerry, but we're kind of doing better most recently is like trying if you're going to try and do something successfully you know, you've got to have a community mm-hmm. and, and there's many ways to, in quotes, create a community. You can't just throw it in the microwave and put it on high for five minutes. You know, you've got to do something specific. So can't, what are the easiest ways to, what are some of the ways I think you, you uh, suggest to begin to create and nurture community? Oh, well, yeah, there are lots of different things, but like one of the, the top things I would say is make sure that you have a, a code of conduct for your project. Um, for some reason, this is, um, uh, controversial. I don't know why, um, because it seems so obvious to me, but, um, making, making it so that, um, people see very clearly that yours is a safe and friendly community, um, that, that people can feel welcome, whether or not they f- fit the mold of, of the developer that the world has created. 
um, I think is really a valuable piece of, of, of stuff, um, of like building your community. So a code of conduct, um, and, uh, like there, there are a couple other things that I think, um, are really useful to like having some sort of roadmap for your project. Uh, sometimes people just want to contribute to open source, whether or not they are experiencing a specific pain with a library or something, they want to just help out in some way. And so whether your roadmap is in the form of issues or some like uh, markdown file in your project, um, having something that where somebody can go to and, and see um, what are some things you want to do in the future, or maybe like even like really useful are things that you definitely don't want to do um, in, in the project and, and some reasons for why not um, that, that can be really, um, yeah, pretty useful as well. Mm. Um, also it's like, um, having a really easy setup for your project. Like if you have to install a bunch of different global things for your project, uh, that can really be a barrier of entry for people coming into your project, um, and trying to contribute. And often you'll have somebody, um, try to set things up and they fail and it makes them feel like they're stupid or something. And so they don't even bring it up to you. And so you don't even know that you're, you're missing out on contributors because, um, they, they feel dumb and they don't want to admit that or, or whatever. And, yeah. and they just move on uh, That's to me. something else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm that person. I will not, I'll, I'll be like, I want to help, but I don't want to be the idiot. How do I not know yep. this? I'm, I'm the imposter here. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like making it as simple as, okay, get clone this thing. And where, where you have like Git is, a um, a link to what Git is like, make it so simple you know, the, the really advanced person can skip over that link. Um, but the, the person who's new to programming or new to your project or new to Git, um, that link will be invaluable to them. Um, you know, sure there's Google. Um, but like if your goal is to build a really good community around your project, you want it to be as friendly as possible, lower as many, um, barriers as you can. Um, and so, yeah, like Git clone this project, change your directory into that project that you cloned, and then uh, run this one script that will set up everything. And that script works in every, um, on every platform, Windows or Mac or Linux, whatever. Um, and um, if you can make your setup that simple, then you'll, um, you're going to have a much easier time getting contributors to your project. Um, and then like automating uh, code quality. So if you're doing JavaScript stuff, ESLint or like whatever uh, project that you have, like try to do something to, um, to make it really easy so that when people, um, are like contributing their, um, uh, their patches or whatever, you don't nitpick on them on code style or, um, on like really obvious, uh, bugs, um, or whatever, like just try to, um, make the pit of success bigger, um, so that you can focus pit on the right success. things. I like that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's that's like one of the major goals in getting contributors is um, making that pit of success bigger. Um, and so like and especially having your setup instructions be like like often I'll see people say just clone the repo and then um, make your changes and then run the test. And the real problem with that is if I clone the repo where the tests are already failing and that, and that's like totally that happens all the time. Um and then I go and make my changes and then I run the test just to make sure I didn't break anything. I suddenly have a bunch of tests that are broken and I think that it was my problem. And so I'll spend two hours on it um, trying to figure out how my changes broke the test only to find out that the tests were broken to begin with. 
Um, and so having really clear setup instructions that like it validates that everything is clean and, and good before people even start con- um, making their mm-hmm. changes is more valuable than we think. That's all great advice. Once they get to the success, now once you fall into the pit of success, which I'm now picturing that, and it's pretty cool. It's a party uh, in there. Because I'm so used to the despair. <laughs> that I'm, I'm wondering what a pit of success <laughs> yeah. looks like, you know. Um, but, you know, getting back to your all contributors idea, you know, once they have that contribution um, and they've made that value, you know, they create that value for the project and for the community, um, that reward, that recognition, uh, it's very important to ex- to expand that beyond just the person who gets their pull request merged. And so that's kind of your idea between all, between, behind all contributors, which is a specification for uh, recognizing everybody, not just people who submit code. And I think that's probably one where it flies under our radar yeah. pretty, you know, the most. Like we don't think about it because it's all about getting that merge or, you know, becoming a contributor on the graph. Um, but mm-hmm. the fact is, on, in any successful open source project and community, there are many people who are not contributing code or contributing less code and have all these other responsibilities. Um, I'm thinking specifically like Webpack has become a bit of a model open source project recently because of its success you know, financially and really because of its value it's bringing to uh, the front end community. And I bet if we ran the numbers, Sean Larkin would have you know, maybe the fewest commits compared to a few of the other people who are on the core team. Um, mm-hmm. And so you'd think that his contributions aren't as, as important because uh, he has less commits, but the fact is he's been paramount in a lot of their recent success and helping to bring new people on. And of course, uh, that project's so large, they have documentation repos, and I'm sure he has lots of commits there. So uh, mm-hmm. all I say all that to say, like, what's, what's a way that we can get past that blind spot of if you're not contributing code, you know, you're not getting recognized. Yeah. Like it's, it's such a big problem uh, that um, we have in our mind that open source is all about the code, but it is so much more about the people. Um, And like, like just imagine um, Webpack if, if Sean Larkin hadn't um, started um, like working on, on getting the word out or helping people or like, I have courses on um, Egghead and Frontend Masters about Webpack. If if nobody had done any community work or like instruction work or anything like that, if it had just been Tobias working on the code, that project would not n- be nearly as uh, useful or successful as it is. Um, right. And so like recognizing the contributions of people who have not contributed code is, I think... Um, you're almost you should feel obligated to do this um, because they're they're making a just as big an impact on your project as the code itself. Um, and so like documentation or tutorial uh, like blog posts or um, even examples, um, example repos or something like that, answering questions on Stack Overflow or Gitter or Slack or whatever um, or in the issues like this, uh, doing, doing stuff like that, uh, frees the maintainers time up so they can uh, continue working on the code of the project. Um, and, uh, like it all like, uh, accumulates together to make the product and, um, and GitHub is really good at recognizing people contribute code. Like that's pretty easy with yeah. the, uh, with the Git graph. Um, but it's really, really hard to automate the recognition of, um, people who are contributing in sometimes even greater ways um, 
uh, throughout the community. So that's what All Contributors is, is about. There's a CLI to help make it a little bit easier because um, especially for something like Webpack, this would be a huge maintenance burden. Um, but uh, like most of the time for my projects, um, I will ask people to add themselves to the list and they there's just a script they run. It's really uh, straightforward for people. Um, I've never really had uh, people have, have trouble uh, with that. Um, and it's added minimal overhead for the maintenance of my projects um, and a great amount of gain. And it makes it so much less about myself uh, as the, the project creator and so much more about um, other people who have contributed to the project. And that makes me feel, um, you know, like, yeah, I, I don't know, make, it makes me feel better about um, having the project under my uh, my username or like it, it just makes it feel so much more right, I guess, um, because we're re- recognizing people who are contributing in any form. Mm. Can we dive a little further into all contributors then? So you mentioned it's got a CLI and you've got, it's a specification. So it's one, it's like, here's how you can do it. But then there's also the CLI part, which is on NPM, which you can use to automate some of this stuff. And you mentioned that you're pretty excited about automation. I'm not sure what word you used earlier in the first part of the show, but all I know is you like it a lot. So that's why <laughs> you created this. What are the sources? How does it, how does it automate some of this you know, in quotes, burden on whomever's doing this to, to give that things. How do you make it a little faster, a little easier, a little bit more, a little less painful to add contributors and recognize the areas in which, based on the specification, how they contributed and the value they bring to, to the community? Yeah, good question. So like, just to give a little bit of context, the all contributor specification says that you should have um, like a table in a prominent place for your project. Most of the time, this will be the readme just like toward the bottom that uh, lists all of the people who have contributed. It has their avatar, their name, and then their, um, the types of contributions that they've made. And there's, uh, and we do that with emoji. And so like you have a, a computer for code and, and a wrench for tools and in, there's infrastructure and documentation and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so like creating that table in Markdown is, is pretty tedious. Um, and it, yeah, it's really hard to maintain something like that. And so instead, there's this um, dot all contribute, um, yeah, all contributors RC file that has all the metadata um, about the project, and then a the CLI will uh, give you a prompt that says, okay, what's your GitHub username? Uh, what are the contributions that you've made? And then it'll um, add you to the contri- uh, contributors to that RC file, um, and then it'll generate the table um, based off of that. And there, there's also a badge that you can have as well. Um, and it'll generate the badge um, that says like the number of contributors. Um, and so like uh, when when somebody's contributing to one of my projects, I, I have very detailed um, like step by step. Here's how you set up the project. Here's how you contribute. And uh, before you push up your changes, um, add yourself to the to the table by following uh, or by running the script. Um, and then uh, as far as like yeah, like that, that process, it's, it's really, really simple for people to do. And sometimes people will forget and I'll just ask them to, uh, if they want to do it, then they can, um, uh, they just run that script. They update their pull request. And I've had a handful of people who are like, Oh goodness gracious, I fixed a typo. I'm not, I'm not going to put myself on there. Yeah. And that's totally fine with me. I don't, like, I, I'm not gonna, uh, the thing is like all contributors shouldn't be a burden, like an additional burden on the maintainer, uh, as, or at least it should be as little as possible. 
Um, it should be more helpful in building the community around the project. Um, and so if somebody doesn't want to put themselves on there, that's fine. Um, but like, I do have a dream of one day having a, a GitHub bot that will, um, like you'll be able to add a label to an issue or like, uh, add a comment or something like that says like add this person as a contributor. Um, and so you don't even have to clone the repo or, or, wow. uh, run the CLI or anything. And like, I see that as something that would be fairly straightforward to do. Uh, it's just a matter of taking the time to do that. Um, so if anybody listening wants to do that, it'd be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so essentially using the GitHub issues as, uh, as an interface essentially to, yeah, to do yeah, this. Like you, you could say, make a new issue that says, add this person to the contributors table. Um, and then the, the bot would do that and close the issue. Um, and it like happened just like that. I mean, I want that. I, that's, that's super cool. <laughs> I finally yeah. scrolled down, so we'll link this up in the show note to this repo, all contributors of Kent's, but I finally scrolled down to the bottom and saw the table, and it's super cool. It's got everybody's avatars and their names, and then, like you said, little emoji for their contributions, like the book, if you've done docs, and what's the eyes? The eyes are if you've reviewed pull requests. Now, Kent, yours has more emojis than everybody else's, and there's one that I'm confused about because it's the woman holding her hand up, and she's not in the key, so does that mean... You're, yeah, you're, you're right. Actually, um, so I, I need to update um, this, Ooh, but right. that, that little woman holding her hand up uh, used to be answering questions, um, but I, I've gotten some feedback that that wasn't um, like that, that was gender specific. And so people oh. change that. So, and, and I'm happy to do that. You'll look, you'll notice the emoji. It's, it's like um, totally gender um, neutral. Um, and, um, like I, I've gotten, as you can see here, I've gotten quite a few contributions from people, um, yeah. asking for those kinds of things and, and happy to do that. Well, I, w I we got to set this up on our repo, Adam. And yeah. I think I would love to see this on more repos, GitHub readme's because it's kind of a, because the avatars are there and they're nice and big. Um, I don't know. It brings a humanity right to the, to the project's homepage that is usually missing. One thing I mm. love, I've always loved about GitHub is the code always comes first. And that to me was a revelation because I didn't back on the SourceForge days, I didn't know you could even look like I thought open source was just kind of free. And like when you download the thing, you can look inside there. I didn't know back then that they had it. And so I loved how when GitHub came out, you land on it and you see source files. Right. Mm -hmm. And that and that's great. And I love that. But it's still about bits and bytes. Right. It's still about code. Um, but this brings a human a human. Uh, angle right on the front page of the project if the homepage happens to be a github readme right and so it almost it i don't know it you relate to it a little bit just by seeing that table so well at the same time too it seemed like uh github at something same time they made code the most prominent thing they made the readme the first class second class citizen right it was still second but it was the first class of anything like they kind of popularized how important a readme dot markdown file or whatever format right. you're doing it in i think text or markdown was the the default ways but those two things kind of like made it here's the code and here's whatever else you want to put in it and most often that was like hopefully instructions and now with something like all contributors you've got not just the contributors tab in github which is code graph only it's everything else mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and and that human aspect too is is really valuable because um it often we'll we'll look at code and it's just code and we kind of easily forget that like this code was created by somebody who had a problem and they they tried to their best at making a solution and so when you go to the issues 
you'll be like, I can't believe this doesn't support this thing. Like pretty much only um, people who are not very nice do that. But, um, but like that, that's easy to do. Um, and when you have like people's avatars, like these are the people who, um, put forth some of their own time, uh, to make this available to you. It makes you appreciate the project and those people's efforts, uh, quite a bit more. Yeah. We're coming up on uh, time for our second break. Uh, we've talked quite a bit about, uh, you know, sharing the love back to those contributing and, and creating a community around it. And uh, let's take this break when we come back when I start talking about managing an open source project. Now, you, you mentioned that you did a video, I believe, on Egghead on creating mm -hmm. a project on GitHub, I believe. Mm. Like, man, you know, but let's talk about the managing side. So let's break here. When we come back, we'll talk about that. Our friends at ThoughtWorks have an awesome open source continuous delivery server called GoCD. Head to gocd.io slash changelog to learn more. GoCD lets you model complex workflows, promote trusted artifacts, see how your workflow really works, deploy any version, anytime, run and grok your tests, compare builds, take advantage of plugins and more. Once again, head to gocd.io slash changelog to learn more. And now back to the show. All right, we're back with Kent T. Dodds, and we're talking about some fun stuff. And the next thing on the list, Kent, you give lots of talks, right? And, and you've got this talk uh, you've given at All Things Open, uh, which is actually where we met face-to-face, -face, had breakfast, which was super awesome. But uh, you talk about, you know, scratching your own itch, open source, getting into it, managing your own, own open source project. Uh, you know, great, you finally ship your, your first thing, and you're excited about it. And then now the burden of open source sort of hits you. You've, you've got PRs, you've got bugs, you've got things that start to happen and start to come out of being a manager of an open source project. And I don't know if you caught this, but recently we had James Long on the show. That title of the show was actually called The Burden of Open Source. And it was based on this uh, blog post he did recently, which is why I'm frequently absent from open source. Sort of got into this this thing where he was scratching his own itch, released his thing and it became super popular. He's got family. He's got other expectations outside of his, you know, code life that he just wasn't ready for this burden of being a, of, of being a maintainer. And so the, this is sort of like this, I'm not sure if that's the only thing your abstract is painting, but it's certainly part of it. So help us navigate what you're talking about here around managing an open source project and maybe even the burden of, of doing so. Yeah, absolutely. That was a great episode, by the way. Um, and that also makes me think of Nolan Lawson's um, blog post that he, he gave a couple of weeks ago um, about what it's like uh, to be an open source. <laughs> yeah, it was in the same time frame. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We should have had yeah. a, a roundtable panelist show around that, honestly, but uh, that was a good call with. Well, James. I think we could get hundreds of people on the show to talk <laughs> we, about that topic, right? Because we, yeah, we've all absolutely. felt it in one way or the other. Yeah, like uh, sometimes you'll you'll just throw something out there and you don't think it's going to be a big deal. And then all of a sudden, um, tons and tons of people are using it. And and uh, yeah, so if you haven't read that that blog post from Nolan that like I recommend people look at that. Um, but uh, like it, it helps you empathize a little bit better um, with with maintainers. Um, but yeah, so there's definitely a pain with with managing open source projects. And like I, I've had a, a couple of projects that have been pretty popular and, and taken a lot of my time. Um, and it can be, um, yeah, really draining emotionally and, um, mentally and physically, um, on you. Um, and especially like I'm a family man and, and so, um, 
trying to balance uh, work and life and open source um, and like the fun part of open source, the reason that we do it, um, that, that can be challenging. And so pretty much like the, the premise of, of managing an open source project, that, that talk, which unfortunately the all things open recording, um, uh, there was a problem with it. So I'm still looking for a conference to give that at, to get a real recording. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that talk is basically if you set up your project in a, in a good way, um, then you can distribute the, the effort, um, um, amongst the community that you've built around the project. Um, and so I, I give a lot of like, like several must haves and a couple of like, this is really useful for this reason, uh, kind of thing. Um, I talk about like how to structure your documentation so that you get users. Um, uh, and actually I kind of base things off of, um, this contributor pipeline thing that, um, I got from Michael Rogers, um, healthy open source, uh, blog posts where basically you have this big circle of users and a smaller circle of contributors. Um, and then a smaller circle of commu com committers and then an even smaller circle of the technical committee or like the people in charge of making decisions when there's um, some sort of dissent or something. Um, but like your your goal is to make each circle bigger uh, so that you can spread the the like requirements of that open source project um, across um, across the community. And so the more users that you have, the, the more contributors you're going to get. Um, well, potentially, if, uh, and that's kind of the goal is to set up your project up uh, for success in uh, that conversion process. Because there are some projects that are um, just really, really heavily used, but because they don't have a great um, setup for a community around that project, um, they, they aren't doing very well at converting users into contributors um, and then into uh, committers. Um, and so stuff like um, having really good documentation, having um, places for the community to like work together, like chat or or um, using Stack Overflow effectively um, and um, having like really good workflow for issues and pull requests and that kind of thing. Um, and actually one one tip that I don't see enough, um, but I, I think would be really great for people to do more is um, if you have a domain uh, for your um, library or your project. Um, making like short URLs or, or maybe subdomains or something that redirect, um, can be really, really helpful for the mm. com community. So for example, uh, with angular formally, um, I started getting a lot of, of requests for help, um, support kind of things. And so I created a subdomain called help.angularformally.com and that redirected to a JS bin um, that was all set up with, with Angular formally and everything that you needed. Um, and it had instructions on how to get help. So like fork this, uh, JS bin and then make your changes to demonstrate what you're trying to accomplish and then post that to stack overflow. Um, and then we have people who subscribe to the stack overflow RSS feed for the Angular formally tag, and they can answer your question. And then what's really cool out of that is like most of the time people will solve their problem while they're creating that JS bin. They'll realize, Oh, it's actually something in my app that's messed up or something like that. Um, and that, so like that saved tons of time, but the, the general idea of having some short URLs that are easy to remember, uh, because once you start using them in like the chat or whatever, then people will remember those really easily, um, and start sharing those with, with people themselves. And so like, you make the the process of maintaining and the process of of um, like helping with the community make that process as easy as possible, 
um, so that other people start taking those responsibilities. Um, and then you can get some of your life back. Um, also having like a really, really good getting started guide or, or like some sort of, um, uh, like guideline. If, if you get the same kind of questions from people, you, you add that to some sort of fact or something. Um, yeah, there are like lots of little things that you can do, um, like automation and that kind of thing to make your life as a maintainer much easier, um, and kind of pass the buck on to the general community. Um, and then like at the end of the day, um, if you're not happy with, uh, the way that things are going in your open source project and maintaining it, then, uh, hand it off, um, give it to somebody else, um, to, to maintain. And, and if nobody else wants to do it, then that's like, this is the way that code works. Um, if, if somebody's not, uh, like if somebody doesn't need to use the project, then they won't use it. If they do, and it's not serving their purposes, then they're going to have to contribute in some way, um, or fork it or, you know, whatever. And, and what do you care if they do? Um, if it's not bringing you happiness, then, uh, then stop doing it and, and move on to something that does. So anyway, lots of words that Another I just said. Knowing when to quit is, is a tough thing. It's easier. I, I actually heard this recently. Um, from the fellow who runs uh, Jupiter Broadcasting, he said, quitting something is harder than starting something. Mm -hmm. And that could not be more true than anything I've ever heard before. Uh, it's just, <laughs> it's so hard to quit something. But knowing when to quit is, is almost just as hard to, to recognize. It's like, that's just tough stuff. But uh, mm -hmm. Well, and, and like you, you want to, you want the project that you've poured so much time in um, to be useful to people. And so this is part of the thing that compels us to, um, to forego things we'd rather do, um, so that we can make this more useful to people. Um, but this is why building a community around the project is so useful and giving commit access really freely and early to people, just like give it out liberally. Anybody who makes a, a non-trivial change to your code base, give them commit access. Um, there are ways to, to secure things a little bit with GitHub and, and goodness gracious, we have Git. Um, yeah, roll like back this, isn't, this isn't subversion or, you know, it's something really hard. Um, so, so what um, you're saying is, is, yeah. uh, loosen up on the keys mm -hmm. and better balance the responsibilities of running things. Yeah, absolutely. I I've had some projects that I've completely handed over, um, to like several projects I've completely handed over to somebody else and they made it so much better than I ever would have had the time to do. Um, and, and it's because I, uh, gave commit access freely and early. And, and when somebody gets those keys, um, unless they're like a super jerk, which I haven't yet experienced. Um, but like, I could see that happening. Um, but, uh, like once somebody gets those keys, they suddenly feel a really strong responsibility. And especially if this is somebody who, um, hasn't done a lot of open source before, or maybe this is the only project they've really contributed to they take so much responsibility and, and they're so excited um, to uh, to have a project to say that like they're a major contributor on. Um, and so, yeah, just give those uh, that commit access to people. And I realize that sometimes you want like you want to make sure that the project continues to solve the original use case that you set out to do and, and you have a direction for it. Um, but like, it, it's really a decision between you having, um, the micromanager control over the project and you having your life, um, as a, a human being, an individual, um, and you, you just have to kind of weigh things. Um, and I would say most of the time the community can make a better project than you can by yourself. Mm. And so just feel free to give that commit access to people and let them run with it. I've, I've, uh, I've got an, a 
a small story that isn't exactly truly relevant here, but I'm going to share a very small version of the story. <laughs> Let's it, hear it. And Let's the, hear it. The relevance is is what you just said there, which is responsibility can really level up somebody pretty quickly. Mm. And what I mean by that is when I was in the military, I was what they would call a slow speed soldier at the first. I was went through boot camp. I wasn't trying to excel. I was doing whatever I had to do just to get through it because I just was like, whatever. You know, I was 18. I didn't have much of a head on my shoulders yet. My dad died, young, uh, you know, early in my young life. So. I didn't have that father figure. So I was just like, whatever, I'm just doing this. But when I got into what they call uh, AIT training, which is your advanced individual training, the drill sergeant called me out and put me as the first squad leader, which is like a really responsible role. I became a high speed soldier that day because I was like, holy crap, somebody sees something in me. They gave me Uh responsibility. Next thing you know, I'm spit spit shining my boots. I'm pressing my uniform. I'm running faster. All these different things that make me a better soldier happened because that person gave me i didn't earn it he gave me the responsibility and it was up to me to lose it you know mm-hmm. and so right. that, i think doing that in our community can have the same effect hmm. yeah i'd like to stay I, off topic know. and say can can you share a picture of you in a uniform because i think i know i would love to see it and i'm sure the listening audience wouldn't mind oh, either. Dude, yeah heather's got tons she shares them on Personal social media all the time, but I'll 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 find one up and I'll throw it in the show notes this time because I was yes. I was a cool high speed soldier. I, <laughs> I wasn't at first. I was slow speed, not cool at first, and then I was like, you know what? I've got this responsibility, and then I got much so much better as a soldier. I started uh-huh. loving the military. I was in my a very young career at that point. I mean, I was barely even in. I hadn't even officially gotten to my job yet, but. Yeah. When I did get to my job, since we're on this tangent and I'll share a bit more, when I got to Fort Drum, New York, and I stood before my platoon sergeant, I never cussed on the show. He said, hot damn, soldier, you are spit shined and polished. And he could not <laughs> believe it. He could not believe it. He's like, I've never seen anybody come in from basic training looking like you do, soldier. What'd you do? Get down and give me 20. And I, so I just, I, I had to beat my face. I had to start doing pushups right in front of him. And I'm spit shine and polished and everybody was like you rewarded you by doing push every i was turning heads as a young i didn't even have uh, any brass on my collar which means you have i had no rank i was like the lowest private you could be i was like e1 nothing and mm-hmm. i was getting respect because you know i came in as someone who wanted to level up and it all started because somebody gave me responsibility and i didn't huh. i didn't even deserve it i was like the idiot at first and that sort that drill sergeant gave it to me and and uh, I took it. Mm. Wow, that was definitely the most personal anecdote I think you ever <laughs> shared on the show, Adam. This Maybe. is a whole new, it's a whole new. Kent, you brought out a whole new side of Adam. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Off the tangent now, back into right. give people responsibility. Yeah. Uh, hold the keys loosely, and the quote going into the show, Jared, for this one is give commit access freely and early. So. Trust your community. Give them yeah. responsibility. They will lead the way. They will, they will step it up. But, uh, Kent, you had a couple things you wanted to mention. We're getting short on time because of my tangent, but we'll extend five minutes. So you've got something coming up at PayPal that you're announcing. Uh, you got a blog post keyed up. What, what is this about? Yeah, yeah. So, um, like, part, part of um, being able to do open source, um, or like my privilege, I guess, is, is being able to be uh, to do open source at PayPal. 
And um, one of the projects that I've been working on recently is this thing called Glamorous. Um, and it's taking some very strong hints from styled components, uh, which is this solution for um, creating React components uh, that are that come pre-styled uh, with all that carry their styles with them. Um, and this this idea of components and CSS and JS and all of that. Um, and so uh, styled components is awesome. I love the API, um, but I decided that I didn't love a, a couple of things about it. And so I created a kind of a, something that's similar um, that uh, uh, solves my use case a little bit better. And so I'm going to go ahead and publish this blog post. And I think everybody is going to um, uh, hear this in a couple of days. And so like this will be published already, but it's called Glamorous. Go look it up. Um, yeah, and it's it'll be in the show notes for sure. Are you hitting the publish button like right now as you're talking? I just I hope hit so. it. Yeah, that's it. Oh it's boy, it's done. Yay! So <laughs> now you, now you, you have to maintain this open source project. So oh man, congratulations! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll, I'll build a community around it. So there we're you good. Go. <laughs> just follow your own uh, advice, and I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, very cool. Glamorous, good name. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of fun. Uh, it's it the you'll know the logo. It looks really similar to the styled components logo. Shamelessly inspired um, and mm. permission granted. Nice, um, but, but uh, yeah, it's like and the API is really similar, so it, it makes sense. But yeah, it's it's uh, curly braces uh, surrounding um, some lipstick emoji. Um, so Style. when you see it, you know it. Um, but uh, yeah, so then the other thing I wanted to make sure I shared before we we wrap up is this thing I have on um, GitHub called Stack Overflow Copy Paste. Um, and this is the project that I used um, when I was demonstrating how to contribute to an open source project on GitHub um, in that, that course I have on Egghead. Um, but at the end of that course, I invite people to make pull requests to this project um, as a way to, to learn the workflow and to follow along with the, the course. And so if anybody listening hasn't actually jumped into open source before, or they just don't feel comfortable about the, like with the, the process or anything, uh, this is a very, very low risk way to get into it because I will be very friendly and, um, and you have like pretty much no fear of getting rejected because the whole, whole point of the project is it's a bunch of uh, different JavaScript modules that are basically answers from Stack Overflow um, questions. So like we've we've got um, like a flatten implementation that comes from Stack Overflow, a remove duplicates from array implementation, a sum implementation, like adding numbers together. So it's like totally bogus stuff. It doesn't actually uh, like hopefully nobody actually uses this module. Um, but yeah, the whole idea is to uh, for people to get into open source, figure out what the process of you know, filing an issue and discussing a solution and then making uh, forking and cloning and, and creating your pull request, all of that, that whole process, uh, you can learn from this, uh, this repo. And this is something that I do because I think that open source is great and I want people to learn how to do it. Um, I'm happy to help. So wow. Stack Overflow, copy paste, check that out. What a teacher, man. I, you never stop teaching. You never stop mm. trying to help in however you can to to get people over that, that next hurdle. I feel like that's everybody, Jerry, like everybody, you've got a hurdle in front of you. Can't, you've got a hurdle in front of you and somebody out there who knows who's going to be, is going to help you get over that next hurdle. And that's what you do, Kent. 
That's crazy. Uh, that, I love it. I, I'm very self-motivated because you find out how much you learn when you teach. Um, and so I, I've learned a ton uh, from my experience teaching. So um, I it could be a little bit selfish, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Kent, anything else you want to share? Anything else that's, uh, you know, last minute advice, uh, words of inspiration? next steps, uh, call to action, anything else to share before we go? Um, no, I, I think it's mostly just like, um, look for opportunities to serve others and give of yourself. Um, that it'll make you a happier person. And then remember to focus on, on your own, um, mental health and, um, make sure to, to give some time to yourself as well. Yes. Wise words, my friend. Thank you, Kent, so much for sharing your time today and for being so passionate about what you do. And for being a little selfish, too. That's always a good thing. <laughs> Thanks, Ken. Thank you. All right, that wraps up this episode of The Change Law. Join the community and Slack with us. Head to changelaw.com community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at changelog. Special thanks to our sponsors, Sentry, TopTal, and GoCD. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to fastly.com to learn more. Also, thanks to Breakmaster Cylinder for the awesome beats. If you're one of many people emailing us, tweeting us, asking about our theme musics and whether or not you can listen to them or download them, we have something coming very soon. It's a mixtape. You'll be able to buy it, which is super cool to support us and these awesome shows we produce. So stay tuned for that. We'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening.